I'll be reading from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 17. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against as you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. We are in the second week of our three-week series looking at how the resurrection is not just an event that we celebrate once a year, but it's the pivot point in history in which Christ is establishing his new creation. Now, as a way of review, last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, where we learn that the resurrection makes it possible for us to have a new nature. It's now possible for us to say no to sin. And then last week, we also saw that from this passage that we have a living hope, a hope in a certain future, a hope that is transformative here and now. And then this morning, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 17, I want us to consider three things. First, because of the resurrection, those who profess faith in Christ are members of a new community. Secondly, the world will not always understand us. And at times, some might even oppose our new community. And then thirdly, Jesus calls us to conduct our lives honorably so that God is glorified and so that many in the world will profess faith in him. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this morning for the privilege of coming and joining local churches across the city and in the world to praise and lift up your name. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that some of us come here and we're physically exhausted. Would you be our strength this morning? Some of us come this morning and we're emotionally exhausted. Would you bring healing and comfort to us this morning? Some of us come here this morning and we're full of doubts about you, whether you exist, if you're good. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, we need to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray 
that you would teach us through this ancient text this morning, that it would transform our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter or you can look in your bulletins. And the first thing that I want us to consider this morning when we look at our passage is because of the resurrection, those of us who profess faith in Christ are members of a new community. Now, the truth is, every one of us in this room was created with the desire to belong. For some of us, we seek to fulfill our desire to belong through our families, through friendships. For others of us, we seek belonging through our work, school, sports, other clubs. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, the truth is all of those things will come up lacking. Because the only one who will satisfy our longing to belong is God. But if you look in Genesis 3, the belonging that Adam and Eve once knew in the garden was shattered. It was shattered when they disobeyed God and they were cast out of the garden. Yet this wasn't the end of the story. God sent his son to live and to die and raised him from the dead so that we might be welcomed into his family. Now, Peter tells us in verses 9 and 10 that those of us who profess faith in him, though we might be scattered all over the world, we are members of God's household. He writes that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. We are God's people and we belong to him. And as God's new community, we are called to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness and into light. Peter says we're not to retreat from the world, as some in the early church mistakenly chose to do. But instead, we are to live in the world with the hopes of transforming it. And so, if you're here this morning, and you're feeling like you don't belong to anyone or any place, Peter says if you profess faith in Christ, you are his. You belong to him. And Peter is reminding us this morning that no matter what the world might say or or how they might reject you and I, we can all have a place at the table. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. We are no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For we are one in Christ Jesus. If we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is that Christ is creating a new community. And those who profess faith in him can be a part of that community. But secondly, we see that the world will not always understand us. And at times, they'll even oppose us. You know, since we live in the Bible Belt, 
it's easy for us at, at times to feel like as we look around and talk to other people that everyone around us are Christians. And at best, those that aren't are either indifferent to us and at worst, they might not respect us. But last weekend, I was watching a Netflix series called Wild Wild Country. And this is a documentary that's just come out. It's kind of the new kind of Netflix kind of craze. It's, and it's, it's definitely PG-13, so I'd say that for sure. But it's about this cult. And they followed this Indian guru by the name of Bhagwan. And they actually moved the cult from India to a small little ranch outside of Antelope, Oregon. And about a thousand of them came and they literally established an incredible little city. And they had engineers and they had all these incredible educated people to take this kind of barren ranch and turn it into this prosperous little city. Well, the only problem was they were a cult and they were worshiping Bhagwan and they were very, very sexual. And I'll just leave it at that. So the townspeople of Antelope were not happy at all with their presence. And it led to a war between the two and between the cult and actually the whole United States of America. And it's interesting if you kind of watch the documentary how that kind of all played out. And I probably will ruin it for you a little bit. But in 1985, that cult had to leave Oregon. And then that property was bought by a billionaire. And that billionaire gave that property to Young Life. And now that property today is a Young Life camp. You can go online, it's an incredible camp. Now that's redemption in and of itself, right? But as they were interviewing the people from Antelope, what struck me most is they said, yes, we're glad that this one cult has left. But we've got a new cult that has just come in. Only difference is this cult practices abstinence. And they're a little more friendly toward us. Now, as I heard at the end of that documentary, them talking about Young Life, the organization that was so influential in my life, heard them referring to it as a cult. It was sobering to me. And it was a great reminder to me. And this, wasn't, this was a guy who actually says he's a Christian. And went to a church in Antelope. But he was looking at those in young life as a cult. And the reality is the world is going to misunderstand us. The world's going to look at us at Hope Chapel and some are going to think that we are a cult. And others are literally going to oppose us. And Peter understood this. And he writes in verse 12, if you look, he says, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers. He's saying to this young community that God has established, not if, but when they speak against you. You see, opposition is going to come to the new community of God. Some of us are going to be laughed at. Because of our love for Christ and our commitment to our family of faith. Others of us are going to be passed over for that promotion at work because of our beliefs in Jesus. And some 
here today might even suffer to the point of death as we attempt to share our faith in foreign lands. Peter says to the new community scattered throughout Asia Minor, this is your reality. And he's saying to us today as a church, this is our reality. Peter is saying, remember who you are, church. Remember that you are God's possession, bought with his blood and sealed by his spirit. We are the light of the world. And as Jesus states in the gospel, don't hide that light, but instead let it shine for a watching world to see. Because you see, the world tried to extinguish the light when they hung Jesus on the cross. But little did they know that their efforts were in vain. What they thought was their greatest victory actually brought about their defeat. And as Peter writes in chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You see, Jesus is risen from the dead. And yes, we in the new community will be misunderstood by some in the world and possibly persecuted by others. But Peter's saying, don't lose heart. Don't retreat and don't assimilate to the world, but instead be God's new community in the world. And so if you're here this morning and you felt misunderstood by the world because of your faith in Jesus. Know that you are in good company. Our Savior is familiar with our suffering. And he persevered. And he's calling us to persevere today. And for those of us who are not experiencing persecution or being misunderstood because of our faith, it could be simply a matter of God's grace and his protection over us. But we need to stop and ask ourselves, it could also be because we are not professing Christ to our neighbors and to our world. I was thinking yesterday about physical illness and I was just talking to a friend. I was saying, if, you know, if I had the power to heal, you know, would I withhold that power? If I could literally go up and touch Jim and he had cancer and I could heal him. Would I withhold? And, I'm be, and I, we were, I was saying, no, I wouldn't do that. I would totally go up and touch Jim and I would heal him, right? And then I was talking to this friend. I was like, wow, what would that be like to have that power? And would I want people to know? And then I'd be so overwhelming. And then we were laughing about it. And then he said, you know, we do have the power to heal. Maybe not always physically, but we have the power of the gospel to share with those that are dying and have the possibility of eternal death. And then he kind of challenged me and he said, are, are you taking the truth of the gospel to your neighbors? And are you seeing them all as sick? Maybe not physically, but spiritually. And preaching the good news to them. And I was sobered in the sense that, no, I don't always do that. I know my neighbors, they have nice houses, <laughs> nice lives. But many do not profess faith in Christ and they are dying. Maybe not physically, though one day they will, but spiritually. And we, I, as a church, through the power of the Spirit, 
have the power to heal. To go out and share the good news and let the Holy Spirit do His work in people's lives. And if we do that, church, we will be misunderstood. We will be persecuted. So Peter tells us in this passage, first, that we're members of a new community. Secondly, he says that some in our world are going to misunderstand us and at times oppose us. And then third and lastly, Jesus calls us to conduct our lives honorably so that God is glorified and so that many will profess faith in him. You know, one of the many amazing things about this passage is that in the face of persecution and great suffering, Peter is still hopeful that many, many in the world, many of those that are persecuting the church, that many of them will, rep- will repent and place their faith in Christ. If you look at verse 12, Peter writes this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. Isn't that incredible? He, he longs for those that are persecuting the church. And he's hopeful that if we, the church, are the church and we act honorably, that through the power of the Spirit, those in the world will see that and they will profess faith in him. He's calling us to act honorably. Which begs the question, what does Peter mean? What does it mean to conduct ourselves honorably? And we find the answer in verse 11 and in verses 13 through 17. Where Peter tells the community of faith to do two things. First, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In the ancient Near East, the the flesh represented the seat of a person's desires. And the pagans were often associated with overindulging these desires. Desires for food, sex, money, power, comfort, and pleasure. The desires in and of themselves are not bad, but when they're overindulged, then they do become sinful. As N.T. Wright says, When these bodily desires become the ultimate thing, then they will conduct a military campaign against our souls. So those of us in the community of faith, we are to abstain from this overindulgence. The Puritans had a word for this. They called it the mortification of the flesh. Paul speaks of this in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10, as he writes this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of the creator. You see, we live in a world that's constantly telling us that God's not enough. 
We watch television and the commercials are constantly telling us that we need more. But what Jesus here is saying is that we don't need to overindulge our desires because what our contentment ultimately rests in our relationship with him. And as we turn to him for that satisfaction, instead of turning and overindulging in things of the world, the watching world will look at us. They'll see that we're different and they won't glorify us, but they will glorify God. And Peter says, through our conduct, many will profess faith in him. So a question for us this morning is, are we abstaining from our sinful desires? Are we saying no to sin as we live in the world that constantly tempts us to worship it instead of worshiping our creator? Paul is telling us, But to say no to overindulgence of our desires and yes to God isn't going to win people's approval, but it's going to win God's approval. The approval that we already have through Jesus Christ. And we will bring glory to him and many in the world will come to him. So what does it mean to honorably conduct ourselves? First, it means to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then Peter says, secondly, we are called to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We are called to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, to understand this fully, what Peter is saying here, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to Genesis. Because in Genesis, Moses wrote that God brought order out of chaos and he created the world and the world was good but as we know in genesis 3 and as i mentioned earlier this order was turned on its head when adam and eve disobeyed where there was once peace in the garden now there was bloodshed where there was once order there was now chaos but the good news is that god did not give up on his creation he sent his son into our world to bring restoration And to bring order. And so God's new community. We too are participants in this new order. We as a church are called to bring order out of chaos. That is part of the new creation. That's a part of our new identity. As we further God's kingdom. And so... You're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with submitting to every human institution? Well, the answer Peter gives us is that God establishes rulers and authorities, our governing officials, to punish those who are doing evil and to praise those who are doing good. In other words, our officials and authorities are to bring about what? Order. And peace in our world. Therefore, as God's chosen people, we are called to submit to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as a supreme or to governors. With one caveat, and that is as long as they are punishing those who do evil and they are praising those who do good, as long as those authorities are seeking To bring about God's order. 
And so what does that mean for us today practically? It means as long as our president, congressmen and women, governors and other elected officials, irrespective of their political party, are seeking to punish evil and praising what is good, providing order to our nation and our world, then we are to submit and to support them. We are to pray for them. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter anymore because you are a new community. And the gospel transcends politics. It transcends Republican and Democrat or Independent. So none of us are those anymore. We are God's children and we are God's gospel children. And what are we called to do? We are called to submit to whether it's a Democrat in office or whether it's a Republican in office. If they are doing good and creating order, we are to submit to them. We are to support them. And I would assume to guess in this room that all of us at this time, at some time in our lives, because of our political affiliation, have chosen to badmouth the other side. And Peter here is saying, don't do it. You know, whether it's Obama or whether it's Trump, God placed them in the office and we as God's new community are to submit to them, to support them, to pray for them. Now, if they're doing something illegal and wrong, then we are called, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are called to civil disobedience, to disobey that. But as long as they're continuing to uphold the law, we are called to submit to them, to submit to our governors, to submit to all the human institutions that God has established. And believe me, if we as a church do that, the world will notice. Because if you turned on the news and watched any CNN, Fox, anything, you know that the world does not do that. They are constantly bashing those in office, whether it was when Obama was in office or now whether when it's Trump's in office. But we as God's people are called to be different. And again, please hear me. I'm not telling you to vote one way or another. What I am telling you is to vote according to what God's word says and God's values which is probably a mix of both parties, which is what's so very challenging for us as God's new community when we do go to the ballot box to weigh that. But as we submit, Peter is saying, we glorify God. And as we submit, a watching world will see that Christ is alive. And Peter says they will profess faith in him. And so I wonder this morning, are you subjecting yourself submitting to our elected officials regardless of political party? Are you praying for them? Are you honoring them with your tongue? With your speech? With your actions? As we do, God will be glorified. Men, women, and children will see our honorable conduct and they will profess faith in Christ. You see, in our passage this morning, Peter teaches us that because of the resurrection, 
We are members of the household of God. We are a new community. We are His beloved children. And unfortunately, this side of heaven, we're going to be misunderstood. And at times, we're going to be opposed. But God calls us to conduct ourselves in the midst of that persecution, that misunderstanding. He calls us to conduct ourselves honorably in the world's presence so that God might be lifted up and so that the kingdom might be furthered. My hope is that those who come after us here at Hope Chapel will find us to be faithful. That they will look at us as a church and say, that is a church that honors and conducts themselves with honor. Who loves one another, who loves the world, and who loves Jesus. And because of that, God's name will be lifted up in this city and in our world. Amen.